Welcome to the 34th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about the MLB and LaMarcus Aldridge's retirement. Let's jump right in with a look at the MLB season so far, and we'll take a look at this week's storylines on a division-by-division basis as usual, starting with the National League West, Patrick. Uh, you know, it's the regular, it's the Dodgers versus Padres, and now the, the San Francisco Giants apparently uh, have entered the conversation. Uh, heading into today, they were actually tied and actually ahead of the Padres at 8-4, and four, while the Padres were sitting at 9-5, and five, although they did lose a game today. The Dodgers and the Padres have a game in progress currently. Uh, I would say the Dodgers are really now the heavy favorites more than they've ever been. Uh, they're doing... They're they're eleven and two, which is an eight fifty almost win percentage, uh, without Cody Bellinger, Joe Kelly, and Bruce Dargraderall. And in case you don't know the significance of a bullpen in the major leagues, uh, yeah, it's pretty significant. Uh, not to mention, Mookie, for a few games. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there there have been some guys resting. I feel like all, all around the league, there's been a few rested games for any player over the season. So I'm not really mentioning those ones, but um. Bellinger looks like he's going to be out for an extended amount of time, so they're going to have to keep doing that without him. By the way, former MVP. Uh, Joe Kelly, former almost World Series MVP, frankly, when the Red Sox beat the Dodgers. Uh, and Bruce Dargraderall, who is a very high-leverage reliever. The bullpen is pretty much half of the normal four that you would say were the uh, the shoe-in four relievers to come in. But still, 6-0 six at, oh at home. Uh, they're first in pretty much every stat uh, in, in batting average by far. Uh, the pitching so far has been at least as good as advertised, if not a little bit better. Uh, Bauer, Bueller, Kershaw, uh, all of them. Uh, and then the Padres start without Tatis and Denelson Lamette. Uh, Tatis played a few games, same kind of situation as Cody Bellinger. Uh, Lamette, I do not think, has started this season. But the San Francisco Giants did take two out of three from the Padres when they played them. So, I mean, it's a little too early in the season to be saying that they have an advantage over them. But, you know... Oftentimes, it is baseball. Taking a series can give you some confidence going into the next time you play them, thinking that you can beat them. Who knows if it carries out, but at least having that confidence is probably a big thing for the Giants. And, I mean, frankly, they haven't been good in a while, but every single time they win the World Series, it's off a wild card run. So nobody nobody in the NL wants them in the playoffs at all. Yeah, uh, interesting. The other side note about the Dodgers, just because we focus on them so much, they could easily be undefeated. And not only are they doing it without Bellinger and, and the folks you mentioned, they're also uh, Tony Gonsolin is on the disabled list. So he's not even in their bullpen. They, I think he might. I think he wouldn't be starting. No, anyway, he wouldn't be though, starting. But. I mean, just like David Price is coming out of the bullpen, but Mookie was out with a back injury in addition to rest days. For and a few the resting games, players, yeah. they lost the first game of the year against the Rockies, where they kind of played sloppy, threw the game away, and they lost an extra inning game to the A's, where Kenley Jansen, who's looked terrific actually lately, blew a save, and then they lost because of the new runner on second base rule. Um, but obviously a big weekend series coming up with the Dodgers and the Padres this weekend. So uh, I, I, my question to you is, um, is this the biggest April three-game series most hyped in recent baseball memory? For the Padres it is. For the Dodgers Clearly. it's just business as usual. And they, I, I frankly think they don't care because I think, we, I think the Dodgers know what they have. Uh, it's been three years of in the world, or four years Three, three times being in the World Series, one devastating loss to the Nationals. I think they know that what you do in the regular season has absolutely nothing to do with what you do in the postseason. 
in, again in a head-to-head matchup espe- yeah especially in a head-to-head matchup uh i mean the padres i think took a series from the dodgers last year and also went at least didn't get swept the entire year as far as i remember and then in the playoffs they did get swept similar thing so, happened to the dodgers and the diamondbacks the diamondbacks owned them in the regular season the dodgers a few years ago yeah, yeah. so i mean it, it's not it's not indicative whatsoever and i think the dodgers know that but for a young club like the padres they will probably be riding high off of some confidence. And even some of the older guys like Manny Machado aren't necessarily the most mature, stable veterans, I would <laughs> say. So definitely a high-emotion team there. So, I mean, they, they, they'll take the series probably more serious than the Dodgers do, especially considering injuries and whatnot. But in the end, I like how the Dodgers actually kind of messed up their rotation intentionally to make sure that Trevor Bauer got a start against the Padres because... This is a lineup that he needs to get used to facing. Yeah. Uh, whereas Bueller uh, and Kershaw, who both and, are pitching, and, this yeah, and and you're and Urias have no issues pitching against them. They've done it many times before. Yeah. Well, I, you, as you said, it clearly it clearly is the biggest April regu- April three game series in the history, probably of the Padres organization. Yeah. Um, but a lot more significant for the Padres and the Dodgers, and at, at this stage of the year. Um, right, Especially when you're 11 and two and you're used to winning 100 game, 100 plus games every season, you you know that you know that losing two out of three or losing even one out of three does not matter at all. Yeah, the Dodgers could get swept by the Padres and be down a half game. The Padres, you know, this, it, they it, lose they, a game they, and they're and they're still losing the division. Yeah, yeah. much more important. The Padres probably making a lot weights, as you said, way too much of an early season matchup, but it is a pretty hyped up matchup. All right, let's move on and go over to the NL Central. Uh, yeah, the NL Central has been a really Odd, I guess is the word I would use for it. Uh, division this year, the Reds had a six and one start. Then they went one and four. Now they won a game today. They're now eight and five at the top of the division. Uh, if you read my weekend predictions article, you would know that they at some point were averaging upwards of nine runs a game uh, in that stretch, and then they averaged I think less than four in the run in the five games after that, where they scored twelve runs in five ga- in five games, which isn't good at all. And then today, I think they scored, I want to say, nine against the Indians, maybe ten, something like that. Uh, but, you know, they're eight and five, top of the division. A very, very inconsistent team. Uh, we'll see how that goes for them throughout the season. I think steady, consistent teams end up being better by the end. But, you know what? If they can keep going six and one and then one and four, they'll probably end up in a pretty good place. Uh, on the other hand, you have the Brewers, who have been, again, kind of more of a consistent team, but only at 7-6, and six, so behind for now. Cardinals are at 6-7, and seven, kind of the same situation as the Brewers, not too far behind. But the Cubs have been struggling. Um, they're 5-8, and eight, and heading into the day, they had major, major, major offensive struggles. They were last in average at 163. And the second worst in the league was 198. There are so, pitching staffs that are hitting better than that. Yeah, at, at one point there was. Um, they're 29th in RBIs, and the only team they are ahead of is the New York Mets, who have played only eight games, and the Mets actually have a higher average of runs per game by .4. They are also last in on-base percentage. Their one saving grace is that they have uh, that they are sort of middle of the pack. I think they're in the low twenties in the in home runs, uh, and their pitching staff hasn't been too awful. And frankly, it seems like they've been getting lucky with giving up a bunch of runs when they can't produce any, and then giving up only a few when they can only when they can just muster up enough to win. But uh, yeah, the Cubs not looking too good so far. Uh, 
we'll see what happens there, but I think the NL Central is a division that you're not going to come back from if you fall too far behind. So either Theo Epstein saw the handwriting on the wall and got out of town uh, from Chicago just in time, or he truly was the genius behind their success. Well, I think if you look at it, there there are no. It's all the same players as before. I mean, there's a few additions, but you know they still have Wilson Contreras, they still have Javi Baez, they still have Anthony Rizzo. It's really the same guys. Uh, I think the issue is just that they all peaked at one season, and you know what? If you can all peak at one season and win a World Series and then go cold for the next four years. Frankly, I don't think you care because you won a championship. But Especially at the same time, as a franchise, that's not too great for your future. But I think it was more uh, a little a little uh, everybody on their best, everybody in their best season rather than this is the level we should expect. And I think we had too high of expectations going in the last few seasons for them. All right, well, you mentioned the New York Mets, so let's uh, talk about them and the rest of the National League East. Yeah, they looked off to begin the season after some COVID interruption that actually wasn't their fault. It was the Nationals who had COVID issues. So the Mets traveled and played just, they actually didn't play. So they traveled for nothing, basically. Uh, they started the season two and three. They are now five and three. They are at the top of the division. Good for the Mets, playing as good as we thought they might. Uh, very good for them. Uh, the Phillies had a five and one start, which was the best record in the league uh, at some point in the middle of the day, some point, and then the Dodgers won a game, and then it was five and one tied. But anyway, uh, they're two and five since then, and they were actually one and five going into today. Uh, they're now seven and six on the year. So again, not too shabby. Uh, probably if you look at all these other teams, it looks like well, it, currently it would be San Diego and San Francisco taking the wild card game spots. But I don't think that's going to last, especially on the San Francisco win. So it will probably be a battle between uh, them and the Brewers. And honestly, we'll get to them soon. But the bottom of the division has the Braves in it. So if the Braves don't win the division over the Mets, I would expect them to easily get into that wildcard conversation. But uh, moving on from the Phillies, the Marlins are 6-7. and seven. They took three out of four from the Braves. Uh, two games in extra innings. And lost on a walk-off. So overall, by the way, a really great series. I actually watched a few of those games. It's pretty, it's a pretty good series. It was really fun to watch. Uh, but that could give them some momentum because that's they had a really rough start. They were two and six on the season. Uh, obviously, four and one since then. By judging by the record, uh, I like how they're that how they're kind of channeling that momentum, and they might even bring it out of that series forward. Although you probably want to win the last game. You want, you probably want to lose the first game. If you're going to lose any game of a four-game series, you'd probably rather lose the first one than the last one. But they can't really, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, they took three out of four from the Braves. And now moving on to the Braves. The Braves are six and eight, really slow start. But again, kind of similar to the Marlins, although on the flip side of this, a walk-off win to avoid being swept at home by the Marlins could really spark momentum for this team and then you have the Nationals at the bottom, four and seven, uh, had that rough COVID pause to start the year and then ran into the brick wall that is the Los Angeles Dodgers to open the season. That's not how you want to open after your season going on pause. So I don't really think, I, I don't think they're going to stay this far down. Although if you look up and down the National League, there aren't really any bad teams. So I don't know who they jump ahead of, but I don't think they'll be behind many. Yeah, well, the Braves definitely one of the more disappointing starts in baseball. But, um, you know, sometimes a young team who has success realizes that you can't just walk out onto the field and win. Um, the other thing is the Nationals, they, as you mentioned, they had uh, the battle with reigning, two reigning World Series champions 
Well, Dodgers look like a reigning champion from one year ago. Nationals look far removed from a championship. Well, they also did change their roster significantly since then, and some of those players couldn't play. But I will also, I would also That's like true. to add, uh, had the MLB's replay system not been, uh, I'll just say it's straight up awful, then you'd actually oh have the Phillies at six and seven, and you'd have the Braves at seven and seven. Uh, because they got robbed of a game. I wrote about it in my weekend predictions, but they it, it, they should not have lost a game. I'll put it that it way. It at least it at least would have gone into extra innings. So if you call it a wash, then you have six and seven, six and six. The Braves are really not any far behind at all, and I'm not concerned about them. But yes, it has been a slow start for them so far. All right, let's move over to the American League and start with the American League West. Uh, yeah, the AL West, uh, it's starting to look exactly like what we thought it would be to start the season. Uh, you know, the Mariners in first place? Yeah, of course, that's exactly what we expected. The team that had a that had their uh, COO talking on a on a Rotary Club's podcast <laughs> about, about uh, intentionally uh, manipulating the service time of their top prospect... Uh, and not bringing him up until exactly April 15th. Well, the time is ticking, and he hasn't actually brought him up yet, uh, although he did get fired, so it's not his decision anymore. Um, but, look, this is, a, this is a complete rebuilding franchise, and they're 8-5, and five, and the craziest thing of, of it all, they are missing their rookie of the year, their future, Kyle Lewis. He has not played a single game this year, and the Mariners are Eight and five at the top of the AL West standings, although there are a few teams that are creeping up right behind them. Uh, the most obvious one being the Angels at seven and five. Uh, they had a really great start to the season, and I think they were either two and three or three and three since then. So kind of middling, uh, you could say, end of the start of the season for them. Uh, but I think they'll, I think they'll get it back together. Uh, Shohei Otani can't, can't hit a home run and pitch every game though. Um, and then the A's are six and seven, but little po- positive podcast jinx. They are four and oh, since the last time we recorded and I droned for about two or three minutes about how bad they've been playing. Although they did play the Dodgers. Yeah. And now all of a sudden four and oh, even though those games were actually against the Astros um, and the, well now against the Tigers. So maybe not as impressive, but uh, they're they're getting back there. They're six and seven. They're going to get pretty close eventually. And the Astros are now six and six after the A's took a few games from them. So we'll see how that division shakes out. It's a crazy one. Uh, the standings could literally flip on their head from the end of the season, with the exclusion of the Rangers, who I didn't even mention. Uh, they're not getting to second place if the if the standings were to flip on their head. I can guarantee you that they will stay. But the rest of the standings could entirely flip. All right. How about the AL Central? Uh, you know, similar to the uh, AL West, of course, the the very top of the division is very, very obvious. Of course, it's the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, yeah, duh. Uh, <laughs> seven and four. Of course, uh, seven and four. And and by the way, the AL East is the exact same thing. <laughs> um, a little foreshadowing. The Kansas City Royals are seven and four so far. Uh, they haven't played the the uh, the, the most challenging uh, schedule. Although they did take a few games off the Angels, so I, I wouldn't say this is entirely a fluke. Although I'm not gonna say it's gonna continue either. Uh, the Indians are seven and six, and the White Sox, Twins, and Tigers are all six and seven. So overall, this is a really jam-packed division. Every team within one win of each other. 
Uh, and frankly, if you look at my power rankings, the White Sox and the Twins are supposed to be the ones to win the division. So when you consider that, this will probably, I don't think this will continue. I think once the Royals, and I mean, you know, there's a, there's a stat about it from uh, last year that the uh, Chicago White Sox were 19-1 and combined against the Royals and the Tigers. So if they continue that, the Royals will go probably to fourth place in this division, and the Tigers will go way into the basement of it. Uh, and then the Indians will probably keep their steady play, probably stay in third place, and then the Twins will probably figure it out and get up to second or first themselves. Uh, but overall, that's a very interesting division to, w- to watch because you have the White Sox and the Twins who are supposed to be really, really good heading into the year, uh, and then kind of the Indians as the team that, well, was is only three or four years removed from a World Series game, and the Royals who are only maybe five, six years removed from a World Series title. Um, so... Look, there are some very interesting teams in this division, and then there's the Tigers. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, it'll keep being interesting. I don't think the race will come down to five teams, but I think the two teams that it will come down to, or maybe even three, will be very interesting to watch at the end of the season. All right, well, finally, uh, as you alluded to, the American League East. Yeah, this one's really obvious, too. Of course the Boston Red Sox are at the top of the division after trading away Mookie Betts and David Price and Chris Sale not playing a single game this season. Of course. everybody And, and starting only 3 Right. Everybody predicted that the Red Sox, the Royals, and the Mariners would be, if you cut off the season uh, 13 games in, they would be the ones in the playoffs. Yes, of course. Uh, no, obviously not. They got swept by the Orioles in three games. That's also, let, let's not let's not forget something here. It's not like the A's losing two out of three to the Dodgers. The Orioles, they got swept by the Orioles, one of the worst teams in baseball. Not, not to be rude to the Orioles, but it's just a fact. Uh, then they won nine games in a row to get to nine and three, and then they only lost on a walk-off to the Minnesota Twins after uh, they were actually down 3 nothing in the top of the eighth, and it looked like the game was over, and then Alex Verdugo came in and hit a three-run bases-clearing double uh, to tie the game, and then eventually it went into the ninth inning, and the Twins won in the ninth inning on a walk-off. Uh, then you have Toronto at 6-7. and seven. I actually think they could hold second place in this division, uh, but except for the, the thing is if the Red Sox are playing like this, they're not going to. But uh, then you have the Rays and the Orioles tied at 6-8 and eight, uh, at third. And then, of course, the worst team in the league, the New York Yankees, at 5-8. Uh, and eight. Yeah, everybody thought the Yankees would be in the bottom of the AL East at this point in the year. Uh, but, What's but, the Yankees' issue? Uh, to be honest, I, I, I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but I, I think the division, the most likely thing that's going to happen there is the Red Sox are going to continue to play well. But when the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Rays eventually start to turn their seasons around, head in the right direction, I think they might beat the Red Sox a few times, and that will affect them through the rest of the season, kind of lower their confidence. Kind of similar to how I said with the Padres, where you have this young team. Red Sox, probably not as young as the Padres. They might be, though, uh, because they don't really have any old, old guys. Uh, but they, they're going to ride high off of the emotions. They're going to get nine-game win streaks, but they might end up getting swept by the Orioles every once in a while, and they're definitely going to end up getting swept by the Yankees, Rays, or Blue Jays at least one time this season. But, yeah, you asked about their issue. Um, you know, I would tally it up to a few things. They're, they're trying to rehab a few injured pitchers, which is always uh, not good at the very beginning of the season, but they're building towards a more end-of-the-season kind of a look, especially with uh, Jamison Tallon. Uh, he was on a, uh, on a pitch count limit, and then their bullpen is kind of uh, 
a shaky situation to start the year. It was a little shaky last year. They had some injuries, again, in the bullpen. Uh, and then generally some people who were supposed to be really great that eh, have not been so great so far. Uh, I expect them to iron it out. I expect the bullpen to get back to what it is uh, supposed to be, although last year it really never rounded quite into form uh, either. But I think it will at least get to where it was last year, which is still better than it is playing so far this year. And also they've been playing, you know, Toronto. They played Toronto. They played the Rays. They they haven't played the hardest schedule, but they've played a hard enough schedule that teams that they're playing teams that can beat them when they're not playing well. Gotcha. All right. That wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. Uh, let's turn our attention to a little feature story um, regarding the National Basketball Association, commonly known as the NBA. I know you don't like it when I when I call it the, the National Basketball Association. How about the association? Anyway, uh, that news being that seven-time All-Star LaMarcus Aldridge has retired from the NBA after 15 seasons due to an irregular heartbeat. Patrick, how about you uh, detail his illustrious career? Uh, yeah, so where his career starts is the second overall pick in the 2006 NBA Draft. Uh, if you want to know who went ahead of him to see if that guy was a bust, his name was Andre Bargnani. Uh, it's okay, he played for a while. But the guy behind him was Adam Morrison from Gonzaga, who did not have a good NBA career. And actually, the best player in his draft class was picked probably 47th, and that's Paul Millsap. The overall, very disappointing draft class, to be quite honest. Uh, but... Back to LaMarcus, he averaged 19.4 points and 8.2 rebounds per game over the course of his really great career. He unfortunately retired at 19,951 points, so he will not join the 20,000 points club, which currently has 46 members, although Chris Paul is less than 100 points away from that himself, and he will obviously get 100 points in probably the next five games. Uh, Damian Lillard today called for the Portland Trailblazers to retire his number 12 in Portland. Uh, in Portland, Aldridge averaged 19.4 points right on his career average and 8.4 rebounds just above his career average over four over nine seasons. He was on the all-rookie team after his first season, made four all-star games as a Trailblazer all in his last four seasons in Portland, and averaged a double-double over the whole season twice, averaging 21 uh, points and 23 points in those seasons, too. Uh, the Blazers, if you want to hear about his franchise impact, uh, they were 21-61, and 61, obviously, to get to the number two overall pick. you got to be pretty bad. Uh, but then they were 41-41 and 41 in his second year already, and in the playoffs three straight years after that, they then had two bad seasons uh, including the season actually where they drafted Damian Lillard, who we now know as the all-star and the cold, hard killer, clutchest player maybe of all time. Uh, really bad seasons with before Dame and then after getting Dame, although he did win Rookie of the Year. And in his last two seasons in Portland, after those two seasons, they won 50 games both seasons and won a playoff series in the first one against James Harden and the upcoming Rockets. Uh, in his first season in San Antonio, after his tenure with the Trailblazers ended, the Spurs went 67-15, and but if you remember the year, they ended up with the second seed, even though I think that was their best record in franchise history, because of the 73-9 and Warriors. Uh, they lost to KD and Russ on the Thunder in the conference semifinals, and Kevin Durant comes back. Uh, the next year, they got swept by the Warriors after KD slithered his way to Golden State, 
and Zaza Pachulia took out Kawhi's ankle in the first game of the series, which has now become a flagrant foul. If you take somebody's ankles out on shooting while shooting a three, you have to clear out the landing space. Uh, very influential on, in the raw in all the wrong ways for the Spurs. That series did not go how they wanted it to at all. Uh, the Spurs made the playoffs in the two seasons after, but lost in the first round twice, once to, once again, the Warriors, and once to the Nuggets in a seven-game series. Uh, and it looked like they would miss the playoffs this year, so they bought out Aldridge's contract. He only played five games with the Nets, and uh, for the overall outlook of the Nets, this means that the super team of names, including Kyrie, uh, James Harden, Kevin Durant, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, all those multi, multi-year multi all-stars, will never play a game as a team with all of them on the court at the same time. I think the most they had on the court on the same time, I want to say, is four or five of them with Kyrie and KD playing. Uh, and then Aldridge, Griffin, and Jordan maybe, but I think Jordan missed one of those games too. So, again, the Nets have been injury-riddled all season. You, and, mean, um, you mean not all of them on the team eligible to play because there's six guys. They all couldn't play at once. Well, no, they all couldn't <laughs> play at once, obviously, and the lineup wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. But at the but I do all mean... All eligible to play in a game. All do, I do mean that they never actually had a single minute in... The same game. Yeah, in the same game. Uh and I think the one thing that I could say about their future also is that this might explain the signing to a multi-year deal of Alizé Johnson after they signed him to a pair of 10-day contracts. It kind of came out of nowhere that all of a sudden a championship contender signs a 10-day contract guy to a multi-year deal. It felt very off. I, I, I wasn't... I wasn't suspecting anything because I wasn't really paying attention, to be quite honest, with LaMarcus Aldridge not playing the last few games. But uh, I think that might be the reason why he is now their backup power forward right on the bench. So I think that's most likely the reason why they picked him up, although he has brought them some good energy uh, in those games. And I think overall for the Nets, uh, I, I honestly don't think this impacts their their outlook on the championship too much. I mean, obviously, losing such a great player has to in some way lower your chances, but I think it just means that the minutes will be redistributed a little bit, add, add a little more on Kevin Durant's plate, maybe make him play the, the four a little bit more, uh, get Joe Harris in the lineup a little bit more to, to have KD slide up to that four, get Blake Griffin a little more playtime. Overall, I don't think it will affect them too much. Although I would say definitely I, I, I'm starting to lose confidence in the surefire to win the East team that I would say they were maybe a week or two ago. I think now it's more, it feels more like an actual race between them, the 76ers, and uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, and maybe even maybe even a few teams that made a surprise last year, such as the Miami Heat. You could even see Boston sliding in there. Uh, but yeah, I think the Nets will be able to move on for this, but it's really sad that LaMarcus Aldridge had to retire or probably two, three, maybe even more years earlier than he would have liked to because of this sudden... Uh, situation but he did say it at this point in his career it's time for him to take care of his family so i i everybody i think supports that decision and i think everybody understands 100 percent what why it happened and again sad that the 15-year vet seven-time all-star is retired and i'm no hall of fame expert so i'm not even going to go into that conversation 
but maybe he has a slight chance. I don't know. I'd have to compare him to some other people. I'm not an expert on that, but again, really sad. Not going to talk about his Hall of Fame impact a day after he retires. It, it's just very sad for the NBA. This is a great guy, uh, somebody who has been a very steady figure in the league for a long time and really, honestly, controlled a pretty steady position in the Western Conference that was only otherwise held by the stars like Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook. So he, he really helped to fill kind of that middle of the West, and I think it'll be it'll be interesting without him. Uh, but, you know, had a little bit of a down year this year anyway. So. Well, it ended on a little bit of a down note, but as you went over, a very illustrious career, and that's a great recap of uh, the career of a great player. Uh, one other closing note. And he might actually be able to, who knows, if the Nets win, they might actually give him a championship ring, which is the one thing that he's that's actually missing. missing on his resume over his 15-year career because not only was he a seven-time All-Star, he was also five-time All-NBA and All-Rookie, as I said. So, again, very, very illustrious career. Uh, hopefully he can get his his ring if the Nets can do it for him. Maybe they rally around him. Who knows? Uh, but... Yeah, just really sad that LaMarcus Aldridge had to retire. All right, well, thank you for that look back at LaMarcus Aldridge's uh, miraculous career. Miraculous, illustrious, probably a better word. Um, That wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, April 19th, where we will have our weekly look back at Patrick's latest NBA, weekly look back at the latest NBA action and see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content on his website, including his Major League Baseball power rankings. That's at 4thand24.com, which is the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.